Amen. Thank you to uh, our worship team for leading us. Yes, y'all can go ahead and have a seat, get comfortable. Uh, if you would, please turn with me to First Peter. It's in the back of your Bible. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 1 today. Uh, we're actually today starting a new series uh, that will go through the, the fall uh, up until, or really through Thanksgiving, uh, that we're calling In Not Of. How many of y'all have heard that expression before, in not of? Okay. And a lot of times you'll hear it said as Christians, you know, we're to be in the world and not of it. And we're looking at 1 Peter because literally I think this letter that 1 Peter was writing to several churches, but also to this church, uh, because by the Holy Spirit, as Peter was writing it, it goes out through history and through the world. Uh, he's literally telling us as Christians how to live, and that's the key phrase, how to live, how to live in this world and not be of it. Uh, I've heard that phrase used a lot, uh, both as a Christian, uh, but also I've heard people say that uh, about other things. For example, I've heard people say it like if they move to a city and there's a specific culture of the city, you could use Jackson as an example, uh, you could say, well, I live in Jackson, but I'm not of Jackson, okay? So I don't have family or heritage, but, I, but I'm, I'm in Jackson. I've actually heard pastors say this of denominations as well, uh, both Baptist, Presbyterian, and Methodist. Pastors say, well, you know, I'm in this denomination, but I'm really not of it. I've heard it that way. I've heard it used for nations and countries. Uh, if a citizen really doesn't like what's going down, they'll say, well, I'm... I live in this country, but I'm not of it the way things are happening right now. An extreme example of this, uh, some of you know, and I'm going to use another World War II example later on. An extreme example is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor through World War II uh, in Germany. And he loved his country. He loved Germany. He loved his heritage. But obviously he deplored and hated and ultimately fought against uh, what was going down with the Nazis. And so, you know, he would say, I'm... I'm in that, but I'm, I'm not of that. That's an extreme example. So for us as Christians, it, it is what God calls us to do, to be in the world, very much so, uh, but not be of it in what we see uh, that, is, uh, that is fallen, that is, that is sin. Obviously, there's sin in us, but we're to be, uh, as I'm about to show you all, exiles, okay? And so this, this message today, that's, that'd be the title, exiles, because it's in verse 1, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and he says, those who are elect exiles, exiles. Now, to me, when I, when I hear the word exiles or see it, I think of uh, a guy or a girl, and they're like stranded on, on an island. You know, I guess I like lost too much. But, you know, I think, of, you know, you're exiled, kind of like maroon, but you're, you're, you're exiled somewhere, and it's like you can't, you can't get out. And... You know, for, for many today, uh, a lot of the, the pastors or, or leaders or writers that I'll read, they, they say that Christians and churches should look at our, we should look at ourselves like, like exiles uh, rather than the Exodus. Y'all know what Exodus is, right? Who's ever heard of Exodus? Raise your hand. Exodus, book of the Bible. Okay. So you know ex- what, what Exodus, Moses led the people out. And so a lot of folks now say, with all the craziness happening in the world, the temptation for Christians 
is to think of themselves like an exodus. Like, we're, we're removing ourselves from the world. You know, we're, we're getting out. Uh, we're checking out. We're separating ourselves from the world. And instead, uh, many, and I would put myself in this camp, it's what I believe, should consider ourselves like, like exiles. And they use the example, and you may not know this Sunday school story, uh, but the Israelites uh, were captured. So after David, after Solomon, uh, into uh, the history in the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites were captured and taken to Babylon. And that's where you get Daniel and all those books. And they saw themselves as exiles in this foreign land, and they continued to worship God even as uh, all this craziness was going on. And I believe that is how we need to see ourselves uh, today. And yet as exiles, they still love their communities and love people who were not uh, of their tribe or of their faith. So for us, even if they're not Christians, uh, we love them. We love our neighbor. We go to the world. We go with a sense of, of faith uh, and with a sense of boldness. We go to the world. We love people regardless. We see a big God working in everything. And there's a lot of craziness right now. So that's one of the reasons that I think the Lord put this on my heart to for us to talk about it through the fall over the next, I guess, nine, ten weeks. How do we live in this world uh, as, as exiles? And I think one of the main ways to do it, one of the key ways, that's why I'm starting off with this, you've got to have hope. You have to have hope. And everybody hopes in something. It may not be Jesus. It may not be a living hope, as it says in verse, th- verse 3. But we all hope in something or someone. And what I hope to do this morning, no pun intended, is at least shift our sights on the living hope of Jesus. So let's read 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read 12 verses down through verse 12, and we're going to break it down some, okay? And talk about hope as exiles. 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, And unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven 
things into which angels long to look. I love the end of that passage. Things into which angels long to look. We'll, we'll hit that here in a bit. Talking about hope. You got to have hope, and all of us have hope. Uh, what is your hope in? Uh, for many of us, and I'll throw myself in here now, okay? Many of us, our, our hope's in our family, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, it can become an ultimate thing. Uh, family members, uh, unfortunately, until Jesus comes again or we meet him, family members do uh, die, okay? And, and I say that because I've known people and I have felt when you put your hope in someone and then they can pass away, that, that can be shattering and, and crushing, it can, okay? A lot of us put our hope in family. Uh, a lot of us put our hope, and I'm just going to say this, I would say it if it wasn't today, but a lot of us put our hope in, in football, okay? Honestly, I mean, for real. Uh, a lot of us put our hope in football teams, okay? Uh, I did wear a little powder blue today, just kind of, you know, whether grieving or whatnot. But, but, but literally, I, I know a brother, and he's a brother, okay? He's older. My wife, Linda, knows him too, and he said this to us, not going to name any names, does not go to this church, but lives in, here in town, so y'all may be thinking. He's like, you know, his hope is that one day, you know, before, he said, before I meet glory, that Ole Miss will win a national title. That, I mean, that's his, that is, that, is, that is his deal. And he said this, like, you know, I just hope, you know, just give me one, Lord, you know, before I go. In, I mean, and he gets real anime, like, before I move into glory, you know, just take me as I rush the field. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not elaborating. He, he, he says this. And I think that's uh, whether you're a Rebel fan or something else. I mean, like, you know, we don't all have, like, 20 national titles. But that, that's many folks hope. Uh, that, you know, they would just have that moment. And maybe it's another sport. Maybe it's soccer. You know, maybe it's baseball. Maybe it's, uh, I know baseball can be an idol for me, quite frankly. Maybe our kids playing baseball can be the idol. And, you know, of course they're going to play Major League Baseball. Probably not. But, you know, we, we still hope that. Maybe our hope is fun. Like, how can your hope be fun? You know, I mean, you're just hoping week to week, having a blast, having a, having a big time. A lot of us have lived with that hope, you know. Can't stand the drudgery of the week, so just cut loose over the weekend, over and over, and it's cyclical. Or maybe the weekend starts Wednesday or Tuesday, you know, for some. And, you know, just keep on rocking on, and it's fun. It's going to be family, it be football or sports uh, or fun or fortune, you know. If I, if I have this amount and it's saved up and locked in, you know, I'm set. And we tend to use the excuse, well, hey, it's not for me. You know, it's just for, you know, future generations. I mean, I got it, I got it locked down, you know, sorted out. You know, they always say the lesson of, uh, uh, or history is really all about uh, subsequent or future generations, you know, you know, uh, blowing out and wasting, you know, what the previous generation saved up for them. You know, there's some truth to that. What's your hope? This passage, verse 3, it says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Here's the thing, all those hopes I just mentioned... They, they at some point, um, they're a hope that can be defeated by death. All those hopes that I just mentioned, they, they can. They can be defeated by death. The only living hope that would, that would never be defeated by death is Christ. So what I want to show you today is, is really four things, okay? Our need for that living hope. Our need for a living hope. How does it operate? Or how does it function? What does it do? How we get it, and then how to activate it. 
Because you could actually have it and it not be activated, okay? The need for it. The need for a living hope. I said I was going to use another World War II example. There is a guy, and I haven't read everything, and I wouldn't refer you to read to him, but he did a lot of, uh, of great uh, studies, and his name's Viktor Frankl, okay? And he did some studies on survivors of concentration camps, okay? Everybody knows concentration camps, right? Horrendous, horrific, horrible experience, okay? And how some of them, only a few that survived, uh, managed to ultimately, like, flourish in their lives. I mean, could you imagine? I, I can't imagine, you know, going through something like that, uh, and then you survive, and then, you know, you, you manage to, to flourish in the rest of your life. And he said, usually there was, there was four responses, and, and each person would have one of four responses on how this time affected them. And there was only one that was good. So the first one is a person just became, like, brutal. I mean, you know, like, hardened, because... I mean, that's hard, hardcore stuff, and it just hardened them. Well, they became brutal to others. Uh, another response was they just gave up. You know, so I mean, depression. I mean, that would feel like that'd be easy for me to fall into. I mean, you, you see that, you experience that, you just you give up. Hell comes into your life, literal hell. You just you give up. So some are hardened. Some give up. Uh, some stay with the H word, they hang on. Uh, and they hang on because, because their hope is in, is in other things. But it's in other things of this world. So let's say, you know, they were captured and they had money or they had a nice house, they had a nice family, sent to a concentration camp. But they held on to, to the hope that if they'd survive, it, they would be back in that, in that life. And what his studies show was that for those folks, when they got back with... Uh, their wealth or, or somewhat wealth or you know, parts of their family, you know, those who had survived, um, it, just, it just never really connected anymore. Like that didn't fulfill them. That didn't, that didn't fill them up. And, and many of those ended up committing suicide. Um, so they held on to hope, but then when they got out, it, it wasn't enough. And there was only one group, and I would put... Uh, this young lady, or now she's named Corey Ten Boone, and I totally recommend you to read anything Corey Ten Boone writes. She was a Christian from uh, the Netherlands, and her family was sent to a concentration camp. And there was only one group that really kept their, and I'll use this phrase, kind of like inner poise, uh, inner liberty, uh, their, their self-assurance uh, in the midst of such uh, hell. Uh, and those were ones who had a hope, that death could not defeat. So imagine ourselves, we had to go through, I mean, hopefully never in our lifetime, but such a hardship. What's going to get you through? Uh, is your hope for material things or, or hope for anything that death could defeat? Are you going to become hardened? Are you going to just fall into depression? Here's the thing. There's some of you right now, and I'm so thankful you're here, that are in that very place. You're in your own, um, you're on your own hardship and your own suffering, uh, and some of you have gotten very, very hardened. Uh, some of you have just given up, and you're falling into depression if you're not there. Uh, some of you are hoping, like, well, I'm going to get out of this, but uh, you know, it's going to be there, this, this thing that I want, and, and you may get it at some point, and it's not going to fill you up. And why I'm so thankful that you're here is that all of us need a living hope that is Jesus.
So we need it, okay? Now, second, how does it function? You're like, okay, that's great. I kind of heard that Sunday school story before. Heard in church before, need Jesus. And, and yeah, I'm in my own, you know, hellish place or I've had things happen. You know, I'm trying to fight off bitterness. You know, I'm trying to fight off depression. Uh, I'm hoping, okay, yeah, my team lost yesterday, but, you know, hoping my kid does well and putting everything. So what's this, what's this do, preacher? This living, what's Jesus do? What's this passage tells us. How does it function? So I'm going to focus right here on verses 6 and 7. You really need to hear this, guys. Verse 6 and 7. Look what Peter says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. Peter's writing to brothers and sisters that are going through extreme suffering, real persecution, like real death. Uh, the Romans were, were really going after Christians at this time. I mean, they were plundering their homes, you know, pulling them out, killing many. Real deal persecution. And, and they're suffering, not that our emotional suffering is any less, but he's writing to people who are experiencing suffering. And here's, here's how our living hope functions. And I, you, you need to see this. He puts sorrow and praise together. He says again, look at this. You are rejoicing even though you've been grieved. How many people have grieved? We talked about that before. You know what grieving is? Y'all know what grieving is? If you do, say amen. 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 Okay, a lot of gr- So he's saying, wait, did you, did you catch that? Rejoice even though you're grieving by various trials. So that the faith that has been tested, so test is like a hardship. Your faith's been tested. It's more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. What does fire do? Fire fire brings the heat. Uh, What does fire do to gold? It actually, actually purifies it. It makes it stronger. Okay? may be found to result in praise and glory. How does it function? Here, and I'm telling you, and a lot of Christians, a lot of you may not believe this. We, we put sorrow over here, and then we put rejoicing over here, and, and we separate them, or we use a big word, bifurcate. We never put them together. Peter, to these Christians, is, is combining them. He's saying, you, you're grieving, and you're rejoicing at the same time. He said, you're suffering, and it's resulting in praise and honor and glory in Jesus Christ. I want you to catch this. It's combined, it's together. He said, regardless of your suffering, and this is how a living hope functions. When you're grieving, when you're suffering, you are at the same time uh, praising. Some of you are like, no, you're not. That doesn't happen. That's your emotion and feeling. Scripture is over that. Okay, here, in this house at least. And here's what I mean. A lot of folks would say, a lot of Christians would say, uh, you can't grieve, you can't sorry. You just got to fake it and white knuckle it and say, well, praise the Lord. You know, just praise the Lord. Just, just praise the Lord. I mean, you can't really live or, or, or kind of sit in your, in your sorrow, in your depression, which is a real deal thing. Peter's saying, no, you can, you can be there. I want you to be clear on this. I'm not saying fake it. I'm, not, I'm actually saying pulling the layers back and showing real deal Christianity, okay? 
Like he's saying, you're, you're in sorrow. You're, you are depressed. You are, you're grieving. You're suffering. And yet, he's saying the grieving points you to the living hope, which results in praise. Praise, honor, glory. It tests your faith and it grows it stronger. So, hear me. Often we're like one or the other. Well, we're praising and things are good. Or, you know, you know, life's, you know, things have hit the fan. I mean, it's horrible. And, you know, we're, we give up or we question our faith. He's saying it's together. And, and a living hope, I believe, functions that way. So, we're very open about our sorrows and our struggles. And that points us, if we have Christ, we have it. It points us to the living hope that we know, hey, God is, you know, he starts this, verse 2, the foreknowledge of God the Father, that means he knows everything. He set up our times and seasons. He says, you know, he, look at this, verse 3, guess what? He has caused us to be born again. So we're a cause people, not a choice people. He caused it to happen. All these things. And so now in our suffering, it's a fire. And we're tested. And we're going to be made stronger and purer through him. So how does the living hope function? You have sorrow and rejoicing at the same time. Together, those are in you, but also that we need to acknowledge that in the church body. That's why the church, church is plan A, there. Church plan A, there's no plan B, that we grieve together, we have faith together, okay? And it's okay to grieve, but we rejoice. What are we rejoicing? What Jesus has done. So, here's the other thing. You may say, okay, that, that sounds kind of, that's good, that's emotional, uh, psychological, but, you know, it's, how do we get this living hope? How do you get it? Well, this passage says it as well. Look at this. Starting with verse 3. And, and Peter, just so you know, you may have noticed this uh, already, he writes a lot of run-on sentences. <laughs> They're not short. It's like on and on. Paul does that too. So let's go back to verse 3. He says, Blessed be God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. He's caused us, I highlighted that, born again, we know that phrase, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, you're like, check. Kind of got that. Let's move on. Get this. Verse 4, to an inheritance. That sounds good for us worldly folks, even though we try to be in the world, not of it. Inheritance, like the sound of that. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Look at this. Kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded. So he's guarding you through your faith. For a salvation, you're like, I thought I was already saved. Well, there's another salvation, okay? For another salvation, a full salvation, the raising of the body, okay? Our bodies will rise too, just like Jesus did. That's what we Christians believe. Ready to be revealed for the last time. Stop there, okay? How do you get this? You get it by uh, believing in something that's frankly not here or not that we can see. Part of it and this is probably the way you've always understood Christianity. Part of it, and I have too. What Jesus did for us, died on the cross, Peter lines that out, okay? But then also we believe in the future too. Uh, the future salvation, rising the body. The future, look at this. 
an inheritance that is kept. Do you believe that anything's kept for you? And I'm not talking about like, you know, the mansion that Jesus set up. But I'm talking about like uh, glory uh, in abundance, all the approval you've ever wanted, uh, all, all you've ever desired in life is being kept for you. So we definitely believe in what Jesus did in the past, but it carries on to both what Jesus is doing now in the present and what Jesus is doing in the future. Can you rest in that? How do you get the living hope? You've got to rest in it and not be like working to earn your salvation all the time. And I want to really highlight this. There's this thing called religion, which we don't want to be about, but we can easily fall into. And this thing called the gospel, which is Christianity. Religion is saying, well, I got to do good. Oh, I got to go to that salt and light banquet because, you know, I mean, I got to, you know, preacher told me and do come. But, you know, yeah, I got to go to that. Uh, oh, you know, I got to, you know, well, I got to give. Oh, I, you know, I really need to do a small group. I got I to do these things uh, to be saved. Oh, I've got to, you know, I got to accept Jesus in my heart. Yes, but maybe it's receiving what Jesus has done. It's a little different. Maybe it's like, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do to carve out this picture-perfect, super-Christian life. That's religion. It's not the gospel. The gospel is resting in that, and it says it right here, what Jesus has done for you, and that he took our place. You know, the gospel is called the great exchange. I've said this before, I will say it again. Jesus got what we deserved. And if you don't know Christianity is this, then you're, you're really believing in some type of religiosity, kind of like Hinduism, Buddhism, I mean, straight up. Jesus got what we deserve. So we deserve death and hell. Jesus stood there. We get what he deserved. Right, what is he? De- Something's kept. It's an inheritance. Like, I don't know if I believe that. Don't take my word. That's just what I read. It's in the Bible. That's the guy. I mean, it's good news. It's like, and if you, I mean, I, and I'll be honest, I sometimes struggle with this because I'm like, I got to work. I got to get the activity. I got to get it done. Can you just believe that Jesus paid it all? You know, he, he's got everything you've ever wanted waiting for you. You can rest in that. You don't have to meet anybody's approval. Like, I don't have to meet your approval. I mean, I'd like to, but you know, I mean, I don't, you don't have to meet my approval. You have Jesus' approval. And the last thing, real quick. So how you get it is believing in the gospel. How you get it? Believing in the gospel. Like, well, what's the gospel? I just told you. It's called the great exchange. Jesus got what you deserve. You get what he deserves. So kind of all the stuff we hear in Sunday school. He paid it all. He died for you, but made real. Believe that. Why are you seeking everybody's approval? Why are you striving so much? I mean, Jesus has done it. You can rejoice. I mean, that's how, that's how it functions, the living hope. When you're like in sorrow, you go to that. You remind yourself of the gospel. So last thing, how do you activate that? Because some of you, I think, have it. I mean, but it's really not activated. You're not living with a living hope. So how do you activate it? And I want to go down. This is a great verse, verse 8. And I'm really serious, guys. A lot of it's not activated in, in some of you. And so all I could do is preach it, but point you to the Bible. Verse 8, I love this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And this is where it gets like real deal. And it gets real deal for me. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And I was actually asked this question uh, this week. I was in an interview for a, for a network, uh, so not another church. So you'd be like, dang. But anyway, um, it's a network. And it's like, you know, how do you, how do you know the gospel? How do you remind yourself? And they said, do you love Jesus? Well, of course, I'm a pastor. I'm like, Let's move it. Do, you, do you love Jesus? Do you, do you, how do you do that? And my answer was, and, and this is, you know, I'm, how I'm moving in my own Christian wall. I mean, I really, I think about, I ponder what Jesus did. Like, this is, again, real deal stuff. Like, He left heaven, the glory of heaven, and He came here for you, and it is personal. And He, he died for you. And I know that's very Sunday school answer. He, he died for you, and he, he knew you, and he, he loves you. Here's the deal. You were, let me put it like this. You, were, you are Jesus' living hope. Do you hear me on that? I believe it. And that's the real deal gospel. You are His living hope. And when you know that you are His living hope, then He will be your living hope. Because you are. All of us. I mean, you're like, I can't understand. He's God. Okay, He can do that. Every one of you can be Jesus' living hope. That He did it all for you. You know, and if you can't really fathom that, well, he, again, he's God, and, and you should be able to, because you should believe. And if you get that he loved you that much, then maybe he could really be your living hope, and it not just be kind of a function of your life. The last thing I'll say, uh, and this really spoke to me, I was kind of preaching to myself this week, uh, I was reading through Acts 1. Uh, you may know Acts 1, the ascension. Raise your hand. You know it? Only a few? Okay. okay. We need to go through Acts some. Acts 1, anybody ever heard of Acts 1.8? I've preached on it over and over again. He, Jesus, one of my favorite verses, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. He's sending the disciples right before he ascends. Here's the deal, guys. So much of y'all and us, me, so much of us uh, can be caught up in activity. Activity, we miss the tranquility of Christ. Okay. Is there any tranquility in your activity? So like I love Acts 1.8. Okay, it's not going to be up on screen, but he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. You'll go all over the earth. I mean, I love that mission. Go, go, go. Rah, rah, rah. And I focus so much on Acts 1.8 that I miss Acts 1.9 through verse 11. You're like, well, what's that? Well, it says Jesus rose up. He ascended. It says Jesus reigns, seated at the right hand of the Father. It says Jesus will return. So many of us can be caught up in like, what's the purpose of my life? You know, I'm just like flailing here. Like, what's the, you know, what's the point? What's the purpose? As a Christian, maybe if you remember his purpose, that will redefine your purpose. His purpose is to rise. His purpose is to reign, and he is reigning now. His purpose is return. Think about that. Like, I don't know about my purpose. What's his purpose? To rise. To raise you up from the dead one day. To reign. Reign over it all. To return. He's coming back. If you focus on that, then it gives life to your person, purpose, more than one you ever imagined. So I would challenge you, take yourself out of the equation, put Jesus there, and it changes your life. And he's your living hope, and he's a hope that will never die. 
I pray I have him more. I pray you have him more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that we get out of the functionality of activity, of just like doing church or, or just like trying to be religious, trying to be super Christian. You know, you wrote this letter to us and you wrote it to a lot of Christians and churches that were ordinary, suffering people just like us. And I pray that we, we would see you as our living hope that death cannot defeat. And I pray that for these people who... Uh, Some are suffering, some are entering into depression. I pray that you pull them out of that as a living hope. Uh, I pray for all of us that you would be our one and only hope. In Jesus' name, amen.